and welcome to Shakespeare, the official Lion Face Productions podcast where we talk about Shakespeare. My name is Chase, your mostly quiet producer. Today, we talk about some of the deeper themes of Troilus and Cressida. If you live in Northwest Ohio and would like to get involved with our organization, be it to act, direct, or anything else theater-related, please reach out to us at facebook.com slash lionfaceproductions. And now, on with the show. Our children are hatched from the same dinosaur egg. It's true. I don't know how that works because Me I either way it's very convenient. Yes, I distinctly remember where my daughter came from. <laughs> As discussed for ten minutes. As discussed previously <laughs> on episode fifteen. God, I can't believe this is episode sixteen. Like I can't believe we've actually managed to make you it this what? long. Nice. Well, this is Shakespeare's episode sixteen. We're talking about. Troilus and Cressida. Troilus and Cressida? Are you sure it's not uh, Trojan War? It's Trojan War and Cressida. Trojan or Troilus and Achilles? Troy and Greece? Achilles and Patroclus and (laughs) Thersides. Thirsties is Thirsties says some bad jokes. It's Thirsties. the play. Upkinbin's play. A pimp Enjoy and my VD. Tell me the dirty word. Tell me like, the dirty I'm word. just gonna Tell pull the comments the from this. Word. I'm gonna make your teeth bleed. I'm gonna make your teeth bleed. So when you buy, I love buying books and plays and things secondhand. Oh because yeah, because you get especially oh annotations from the previous oh, owner are always, wonderful. I used to, I I remember. All throughout my English classes, I would always purchase the used copy, not just for pricing, but because then you got to see the notes. What was so important the first time? What did you think was important? What yeah. What did this asshole before you decide was and luckily, like they had to write something about? What, luckily, if you had a Robert Myers, if you were unfortunate enough to have Professor Robert Myers um, and picked up a used English Norton's anthology... Somebody else may have highlighted the footnotes he would ask questions on his daily quiz about. Footnotes. Not the play, not whatever you were supposed to be reading, the footnotes. But uh, next to Pandarus' love song, if he sings to Troilus and Cressida. No, he doesn't sing it to Troilus and Cressida, he sings it to, to Paris, Paris and, and Helen. Because um, Helen asks him to sing a song, and he sings a love song. And uh, what the this previous owner has commented is utterly commonplace, no rhyme or reason. <laughs> oh, <laughs> very judgmental. Shit, she hates very it. Very judgmental. Slay. So she slay. she hates nice. it. So the precious. <laughs> I don't even know where to begin with this play, except for it uh, is two, well, I two mean, plays shoved together. And actually, that like I said, like I said when we started talking about it, like there's actually um, in the first folio, it's like this play has never been performed, but earlier notes are like this play has been recently performed, and it's often it's commonly believed that Shakespeare wrote a love story, a romance, Troilus and Cressida. That revolves around Troilus and Cressida. And then, like, later, like, five or six years later, went back, revisited the work, 
and made it about the Trojan War instead, but never changed the title. So it's like one set, like the, like, Burbage's Man or like, you know. I assumed this play was written before Romeo and Juliet. And that Troilus and Cressida's story was then used to... This is like a 1600s release. Yeah, this, this is, is a later release. 1602. This was written like 10 years after Romeo yep. and Juliet. And actually, the, the version printed in the first folio is often accredited as like 1609. Because then that's where it comes in is like, this play, when it was released in like 1603, is like, this play has been recently performed. And then 1609 rolls around and it's like, this play is a new play. But it's like he recycled some parts of an earlier play, added in a lot more Trojan War, yeah, it, it, and released it with the same name. Yeah. And I think, I think part of the problem for me, there's, there's two. And one of them is that I, sacrilegious as this sounds, personally have never found the story of the Trojan War to be that interesting. And, I don't think that's sacrilege necessarily. Yeah, I just, I, it's not a story that interests me. Beautiful woman, men go to war over her, there's lots of fighting, they drag it on forever because nobody talks to each other. I like the story at the beginning, and I like the story yeah. at the end. I um, enjoy the I enjoy the horse. I enjoy, I good, enjoy the Odyssey. The I, Odyssey? I enjoyed playing Menelaus. That was a good time. <laughs> the Odyssey is incredibly, incredibly more interesting than the Iliad. But, but so the Iliad being the work that this play yeah. comes There's a from. Cyclops in the Odyssey. But but that was they get turned into that's... pigs in the Odyssey. Yeah. But that's that's part of my issue with this play is that it's already based on a story that I do not find interesting, and this adds absolutely nothing. Well, and it's, a it's, new actually, it's actually to make based it on it's based on multiple like. Troilus and Cressida aren't really all that mentioned in the Iliad, but there's a, a Geoffrey Chaucer did a, yeah. did a, did a, wrote did a, Troilus and Cressida uh, earlier, you know, like a hundred years before. About, yeah, about two. But but the other part of it for me is that this is a named play. The names of the main characters are the title of the play, and every other time that that happens, they're not the main. You characters. go up to somebody and you say, "Hey, what happened to Macbeth? Hey, what happened to Julius Caesar? Hey, what happened to Romeo and Juliet?" And people can tell you very clearly what happened to those people. And then you go, "Hey, what happened to Troilus and Cressida?" And Who the only, fuck knows? And it's not even a matter of. Oh, we don't know because it's an obscure play that we're not familiar with, like it might be for it Timon of Athens or finished. Pericles or um, Coriolanus. It's uh, you Coriola- can read Coriolanus the play, you can watch the play, and you still have no fucking idea so, what happens to Troilus and Cressida, even though they're the titular characters. I'll, I'll, I'll fight. I'll fight anyone who wants to try and put Coriolanus in a corner. But I, I wasn't putting play. him in a corner. I, 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 I love that play. When yeah. I saw that play this is fantastic. Play. I saw it for the first time at some like high school muse machine production down in Dayton. Muse machine is a thing that is in Dayton. I don't know if it's anywhere else in the world, but it's basically like uh, a, a grant based thing that helps get high school kids out to see theater and to do theater. And so that's where I first came across Trilis Presto. 
Like, there was a touring company that actually put on Troilus and Cressida? No, I think it was some other high school that put on Troilus and Cressida or something like that. Somebody, oh god, yeah, a high school that put on Troilus and Cressida. Yeah, I remember thinking that they were young. I just went to it. I don't remember a whole lot. Let's also remember that... Nobody performs this We're talking, like, almost 20 years ago, okay? I'm old. So, I remember walking in going, ah, Troilus and Cressida, isn't this a love story? It's gotta be Troilus, a boy, Cressida, a girl, gotta be a love story. Walked in, sat down, Trojan War, threw me off. And it threw me off a little bit, but I was like, you know what, I like the Trojan War. Why not? Let's listen to it. And we get to it, we get, like, halfway through, and I'm like, wait, hold on. Where's Troilus and Cressida? I totally lost track of their plotline. Oh, there they are. Now they're banging. What? Hold on. He's giving her the old passion blaster. So we went from, like, a weird kind of meeting after a hottie McHottie parade to they have the weirdest meeting and then and then they disappear. So again with Romeo and Juliet, there's not enough time for them to farm that such lasting love. There's not time for Troyes and Cressida either. No, but they But there is have... because they've both lived in Troy forever. And so they probably know each other because they're both Well and see the thing is I did not read this as that was their first meeting. I read it as they it's the know first each time, other. It's the first time their heads turn towards each other. It's the first time that that one of them's like, "Hey." I also don't buy it. What in, your name is in ro- in rom coms where like after two dates, all of a sudden they would die for each other or give up friendship. Like I don't buy it, and I don't want anybody to read into my own love like that. I'm not totally vested. I am, but it took my husband and I knew each other for two years before we started dating. I was there, I've seen it. We dated for five years before we got married. Like, I just, I think I honestly have a really hard time getting my head around this, like, I would die for love after making out with you twice. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I I mean, Hannah and I dated for three and a half years or almost four years before we got married. I was, I mean, I remember having conversations with Chase when, before he proposed to you. About, like, whether or not he was ready to do it. I just pretty much thought they were already engaged. (laughs) No, but, no, like, I... Chase and I actually had conversations about like, am I you know am I ready to do this? And so like I actually I distinctly the remember these. No, that's not what I told him because that's not what you tell somebody in that situation. But so the problem I have with this play and the reason it's a problem. I, also, I did say you'll never be ready. Is that it's not a comedy, but it is a comedy, and it's not a tragedy, but someone but a lot dies. of people die. So it's this problem play where it doesn't fit any one place. And it takes place over, like, three days. It's, yeah, it's a very short time frame. So we get this small snapshot of an awkward time in the middle of the Trojan War. We don't see the end of it. We don't see the climax. We don't see the there's, beginning. There's no Trojan horse. We basically get to the part where Hector and is killed. If it's just the background of it, fine. That would be really cool. I would love to see a love story told. As just the Trojan War as the backdrop. And I think that maybe what was the play was originally written as, and somebody came along and was like, you need to get more need, murder in there. Yeah, well, yeah. hey, that last play you did, that Henry V with all the fighting, it went over really well. Can you add more of the fighting in? Well, and the thing for me, again, is that I feel like it's trying so hard to be so many different things that it's not succeeding at being any of them. And... Uh, it's two distinct yeah, plays. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. it's not about the Trojan War, but it's a Trojan... 
She's had most of a bottle. She's had a lot of candy wine. Candy wine! Alright, I'm bringing a bottle of Artemis to every one of these. But it's not... so much more fun. It's not about the Trojan War, but it's also not about Troilus and Cressida. And so you're left kind of... As you read it, you're going, what is this Uh, about? I've decided. That's what it is. It's about Thirsty. So, but the thing... And the thing again for me is that it has... There's so much potential that just didn't happen. Like like you were saying, if this was a love story set against the backdrop of the Trojan War, but with anything to raise so like the some, stakes... like some Gone with the Wind type bullshit. Like, yeah, but like know? anything to raise the stakes for Troilus and Cressida, because there's not... like. You keep comparing it to Romeo and Juliet, and I don't see that comparison really at all. I, I guess it's just she's comparing it because it's Romeo and Juliet, Troilus and Cressida. Well, that it's this kind of like star-crossed lovers, but type it's thing, not but they're not really, they're, yeah, because they're, they're not fucked around by the circumstances. They're no, fucked around by, by, by each other, like pandarus. by their stupidity. <laughs> yeah, so, like so. Let's because we talked we talked with Romeo and Juliet about how the tragedy of Romeo and Juliet is that they are. At the mercy of events outside of their control, largely, and their stupidity, and their stupidity, but it's also because of the situation that was created by people who came before them. Yes, they have no they control over the fact that their families well, hate and each these other. two have no control over what happens after they get together. Yes, because it's larger than them and it's political. Well, but and yeah, they have no control made... over Calchas sending her. You know, calling for her and... And I guess I guess I would have more sympathy for that if they were drawn differently. Yeah, but like... Not bad, I'm just drawn that way. (laughs) But Cloaca, like, he's like, hey, let's trade this dude for my daughter because I want my daughter with me. And so Agamemnon's like, okay, Cloaca, let's... But if they... If they... If you worked more on the connection between the two of them... Yeah, Agamemnon. If they'd worked more on the connection between the two of them... We've seen that play. And, you know... Troilus hadn't been such an ass, and Cressida hadn't been such a weird place with the flirting and the, I don't even know what's going on with her, then I would have felt She's susceptible it to a romance. Little bit that's, more. Those are her words. Uh, but I would, have, I would have felt it a little bit more when they're like, oh, we're being torn apart. I've now been promised to go back across to the Greeks. And then I would have bought a little bit more that yeah. intensity of, oh, no, this is a whole thing that's happening Troilus to at, that, at, at that point is like, peace, I'm out. Exactly. So, and so... Let's take a moment. Let's say you, Cassie, are playing the role of Cressida. Okay. What? <laughs> She's so upset about that. <laughs> Let's talk. What would your... She's pissed. What's your objective here? What are I the don't things? know. We don't know anything about her. Yeah. She's got a weird uncle. And Not a magic get, uncle. To get a weird uncle. from my weird, creepy uncle. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot. That, that's Wait, her hold, whole, hold on, her hold whole on, motivation. Hold on. I have a wizard uncle. I forgot about that. I've got, I've got a wizard uncle. Monkle. I've got Shut a monkle. I've got a monkle. Uh, I've got a wizard uncle. I forgot about that. I you can't forget about the monkle. I, he became a monkle in a different way at the he end. Did, he did become, because I... Because he became a monk. A monkle. I, for, I forgot about that completely. I need to... Actually, listen to our podcast. I can't. I can't listen to myself, but other people tell me what I say, so it's good. I listen. I listen every week. Actually, every, I'm good. Every time me it's too. released, I and I know that you'll tell me if I say something stupid. Oh, we always say stupid shit. Yeah, if but, we cut out every stupid thing we said, we would not have a podcast. Okay, so she has no <laughs> character. Yeah, except for that, her head is easily turned by cute boys. Yeah, because she's all like Hector. Oh, he's pretty. Who Paris? He's pretty. Oh, Trailer Sides. 
But I'm not going to tell Pandarus that he's pretty because Pandarus so wants me to tell him he's there's, pretty. There's a pre-built bias for this girl whose her head is turned by everybody. That And it goes back to something we kept bringing up. <clears throat> this like There's a pre-built oh, bias I, against women in this fucking yeah, play. Every, she, she kissed all of us. She's a slut. No, you kissed her. No, they, yeah, they forced so, themselves on her, but they say she's a slut. Yeah. Helen is, every, like you brought up earlier, in, in episode 15, like you brought up, every time Helen's fucking name is mentioned, oh, she's such a slut. Pretty quickly, after. Like, within, like, lines. It is brought up that she is a whore, she is a slut, she is unfaithful, she's untrue. Even when it's the Trojans. It's not, yeah, it's not just her. the Greeks. And they say it to Paris, and Paris is just like, yeah. But yes, yeah, so the only time, about- the only time Paris, the only time Paris says anything that's like my honor, you know, like you know, dealing with Helen is when they're talking about giving Helen back. Like no, that would hurt his honor. Not all of the times that they're calling Helen a fucking slut and cockweasel or whatever the fuck they say. Um, new. We're just gonna move on. Okay, no, but not not all those times that they're insulting Helen. He doesn't speak up. No, the it's only just... time that he speaks up is when when he's gonna lose his when buddy. when he's gonna lose Helen because <laughs> Hector goes. Oh, sorry, did you? Just... She said she did. She tried <gasps> to get past it. She tried <gasps> to tried to sneak past it, but she said, "Fuck, buddy." We're gonna have to get her more. All right, we'll switch off times. Who's picking up the Arbor Mist and picking up beer? Got it. Done. And you can't, you can't say, you can't shame me for cock weasel. She said, fuck, buddy. I am going to still shame you for Anyway, but if you look at the women in this play, if you look at the women in this play, you have Cressida, you have Helen, and then you have uh, Andromache, Andromache, you have Cassandra, and, and... Hecuba so there's a decent, sends a letter. There is a decent number of women in this play. When we look at other plays that we have talked about, there is a decent number of women. But the last play we just talked about was As You Like It. There were, like, four. Four women, but they actually were a lot more integral to everything. Right. This play has, like, eight to ten women in it. And it they, does not have that many. It has like six to seven women in it. And I'm think I I can think of like I'm looking at five. Cassandra. Cassandra, Andromache. Andromache, Helen, Cressida, Hecuba. Hecuba. And then there's like a Helena in there as well. Helenus, who is a son of the king of Troy. Oh, Helenus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was another girl. Well, so there's yeah, like five. That's why that's why you. But what I'd be, what I'd be really interested to um, see. That's right. The girls at the time, the girls were played by boys anyway. What I'd be interested it's to see offended. with this play would be a line breakdown of where the how often do the women speak? Not often, because that's one of the things I noticed in the scene, especially with Paris and Helen and Pandarus, is that Helen barely says anything. They're talking about her. She's right there in the scene. They talk around her, about her. They talk... They say horrific things about her. They talk about um, the bull and the cockles. Talking about Paris and Menelaus. All the time. I also think it's funny that Menelaus gets like three lines in the entire show. Yeah. He's not important. There's part of me that's like, see, it's not about the Trojan War. 
because Melanus and Helena, Helen, or ba- Helena, again, oh boy, are barely talked about. But it's about the men. God, I really wish I had that are, copy of the RSC Shakespeare that Mike has that literally has, like, the line. The line I right actually, there. I'm trying to Google it right now and I can't find so, it. All of these men are talking about and running the lives of these women mm-hmm. throughout this whole play. What's well, yeah. so the toxic masculinity? The only dudes that don't do that are like Achilles and Patroclus because they're just sitting in their tent going, "Uh, I promised my lady that I would fight," and Patroclus is like, "He promised his lady that we wouldn't fight." So well, and then if you're gonna lo- if you're gonna say uh, Achilles and and Patroclus, then you have to include like Ajax. But Ajax has plenty of things to say about Helen. Ajax gets in the middle of some of these things because he thinks he's funny, and he and his little Thersitus. Well, Thersitus is an asshole. Because again, but that's why I like their, it. Their their bulk and skull. There is <laughs> a fucking bully to to throw to throw back to Power Rangers again. Um, no, it. Yeah, and that, but especially Thersitus. Thersitus yeah. is a, he, he's an asshole. And Hector doesn't say terrible things about her. He just is like, we should, we should not have her. We should send her back to her husband. But again, it's this having, it's owning. There's yeah. a lot of ownership. And, it's, and it's problematic. It's very problematic. Yeah. And I think Hector is honestly one of the it's few... It's not even problematic. It is a fucking problem. It's well, yeah. Not, it's yes. not, and uh, it could be one way or the other. No. No, yeah. It's okay, yes. Yeah. Yes, sorry, think, that's... Yeah. yeah. I think Hector is one of the few decent redeemable redeemable characters in this show. Well, and I think that when you go back, when you read the source material and Homer as source material is still fiction. When you're looking at <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, because because did Troy even exist? Yes. Is a question that still exists. It has been found. No. No, they didn't. All right, let me Google that. Because... You googly! So, um... Or at least they... They found a place that they thought was Troy. Yeah. There's no actual proof that it was Troy. Whatever. Okay. So, one of the things about this ownership that we started to talk about in the last episode that I think I really want to delve into a little bit more is, um... The two scenes that feel very much like sexual assault mm-hmm. in this okay. play. Uh, because I think that it, it this play could be, a, like, if you were to stage this play, because every time I read a play, I think, of how would I stage this? That would be something I would really focus on. Like, I think I would spend a lot of time thinking about how I want to portray this scene where Cresta is passed from man to man in front of her father. Mm-hmm. Her father is there. He, she is brought there because of him, and she is passed from man to man, and she is assaulted. She does not want them to kiss her. She is not welcoming of their advances. I do not feel like this is. Sorry, I'm stealing your book again. No, do it. I don't. I feel like this is definitely a scene where you could point out some of the the. the me too. Here she is getting assaulted by a variety of men who then, when she leaves, give her that, like, uh, what a slut. What a whore. I can't believe that she would let us all kiss her. 
What a terrible woman. But it's it's this role that they forced her into. And then Diomedes decides, because he, he tells someone, I'm going to have my own special feast with Cressida. He takes her out there and looms over her and bullies her and bullies her and bullies her until she has almost no choice. And then... And it's it's very interesting to me that there is no resolution to it because normally with Shakespeare, there's some kind of comment being made on it somewhere at some point. Even You can even argue it with Taming of the Shrew. Um, and I do put this argument out there all the time, which is in the big speech that Katerina gives at the end where she is Fine. saying everybody should, you know, be obedient to their husbands. It's the longest speech anybody has in the play. It's yeah. this, all of this stage time, all of these lines given to a woman. And there's definitely a way to stage that, that belies the, the surface issues of the message of that play. But it's it's usually addressed, and I don't feel like it, that is ever well, you, addressed you can, in this show. You can, you can make directorial and actor choices with Taming of the Shrew to make it one way or the other. You can you can make Taming of the Shrew not a comedy. Yeah, it's really easy to make that play not a comedy. Oh yeah, I would be interested in seeing that. Everybody's passing around kissing. I really think that that could be a scene where you talk about how women are treated. Mm-hmm. Especially around a bunch of dudes. Because a bunch of dudes, and I do mean like dude bros, if it's one, you've been in that situation where it's just you and a bunch of guys who maybe you kind of know, but you don't really. Mm-hmm. It can get very uncomfortable very quickly. Yeah, And you are always looking for the exit. And how are you going to get out if this does go weird? And how are you going to get home? And all of that kind of stuff. And especially when... This straight up goes weird from the fucking rip. Well, it does. Well, As soon as they get her there. So, it do, it goes wrong. Shit goes wrong from, sideways. And then when she's talking to Diomedes, she calls him her protector. Because he's the a only word, one she a knows. A would be my protector. And he's supposed to like take, take her safely her. to her dad. And instead, mm-hmm. he's now kind of like got her off to the side. She <clears throat> sees him in this protector role, and he's looming, and he's bullying, and he's taking, and he's not giving her anything, and he's just demanding everything of her. Mm-hmm. So, no, he does not physically assault her, but you don't have to to make a woman feel that level of. But he stands by and basically lets everybody else do it. No, it, he doesn't have to put a hand on her to have made her so uncomfortable and to have ripped things from her. And I think that's sometimes something that we forget. And that can be really well shown in this play. Well, that's, that's in that scene, though, like, he personally doesn't do it in that scene. But he stands by and lets everyone else do it, which is just as bad as him. No, I'm I'm calling... I'm condemning the scene with him alone with her. Oh, no, more. yeah, that, that, oh, yeah, okay, sorry, sorry, because yes. although he yes. doesn't lay a hand on her, he takes everything from her. Oh, yeah, he demands to know who her token is from. He demands that she and meet him later to bang, and, like, She is left with no safety at the end of it. He's left her angry, and she doesn't know where she stands with anybody. Well, and she blames herself. 
So she sends a letter to Troilus, and Troilus rips it up because he's seen maybe a quarter of what's actually happened, and he assumes that she is complicit in this instead of even taking for a moment to read her, I would expect as a director, her body language. Mm -hmm. Shakespeare didn't, mm -hmm. I don't believe that Shakespeare wrote this as someone who's comfortable with the situation that's going on. No. And I have to give, as we've started this project of these podcasts, I'm giving more and more credit to Shakespeare being kind of really advanced on his views of Well, what and actually, this, this play, this play is actually considered, and one of the reasons that it's actually gotten a lot of traction in modern day is because the ideals that are brought up in this play by action or inaction, are much more modern. It's kind of looking beneath the veneers. Yes, they're much more modern than than during the Renaissance or, you know, the Elizabethan era. So with with Romeo and Juliet... That was a high spike, sorry. (laughs) In Romeo and Juliet, you know, you... If you're an intelligent audience member, you doubt that it's love. But it's presented as, this is love. And there's not a question of that within the script. Yeah. Whereas with this one, the script very much shows you, what if it's not love? What if it's just lust? lust? Yeah. What if it's not honor? What if it's just, you know, bravado and pride? And so those questions... were boner. And so those questions are brought up. And I think that there's definitely... There's definitely a way to to present that as a director to an audience, but I don't think that the script does it for you very no, well. No, trust trust me. Actually, re rereading this because the first time I read this, I was probably sixteen or seventeen. Just making it through. Just slogging through. I was, I read all of Shakespeare's plays while I was in high school. Oh, so like thirty years ago. Not 30 years ago, <laughs> only 20 years ago. Um, yeah, only 20 years ago. Uh, you know, and like I've reread all of them like once since then. Mm-hmm. But actually, going back through this play now, where I am in my life and everything like that, I would stage this play and I would draw focus to all of the things that are wrong in this play. And I think as a modern director, as a modern audience, the only way that you can do this play is to do maybe what Shakespeare was trying to do and say, these things are fucking wrong and we're going to... This is me drawing attention to how wrong these things are. This I might actually consider these scenes for if we ever do a Shakespeare short again. And I, I think this is timely. I think this discussion, oh, especially yeah. oh, very, what's going yeah. on in the world right now, is very, very timely. And I, I, I think there's a lot to be pulled out of it. Um, but it's the, I, it's the unresolvedness of Troilus and Cressida's story. It actually, as I'm sitting here thinking, it reminds me a little bit of the end of Measure for Measure. Where you have yeah. Isabella who wanted to be a nun and then Antonio was like, 
no, not Antonio. Angelo was like, you got to have sex with me and we'll get into that when we do that show. But in the very end, this Angelo is brought to justice. Isabella is freed from that obligation. So she's like, I'm going to go be a nun. But this Duke who swooped in and saved her is like, no, because I admire you as a woman. As I admire you as a woman, your reward is I'm going to marry you. And Isabella has no more lines for the rest of the show. We're never shown what happens to her. She's not given an ending, and so it's very much left up to directorial choice. And in my instance, the directorial choice is to have her, you know... Sobbing. No, flip the bird off and walk away. Like... Nope. No. I'm done with you. I'm done with all of you. I'm done with men. I'm seriously going to join my convent now. You're all horrible people. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm done. Um... So, um, but that but that unresolvedness reminds me of the end of Measure for Measure, with these things that are left up in the air that don't get discussed and don't get talked well, about. Well, and, and Cressida's last scene, Cressida's last scene, the last time we see Cressida, is the scene with Diomedes. Mm-hmm. That's her last appearance on stage. Is when she writes that letter and sends it. Oh, yeah. It's an entire act. Yeah, because that's the that beginning. Titular, that that's, a, act, that's Act 5, Scene 2, and there are ten scenes in Act 5. Almost yeah. the entire act. An almost entire act of play goes by where we do not see one of the titular characters. And that happens frequently yeah. in this play. They well, disappear she, for huge stretches oh, of time. Oh, huge tracks of land. She, <laughs> she disappears from the scene where... Diomedes is basically just like pressuring her and trying to take advantage of her and forcing himself on her. Whether he physically does or not, he's still forcing himself on her. And she just disappears. But I would I would really be interested to see She disappears for the rest of the play. I would really be interested to see this directed where you do make it Cressida's story and you really look into because think about what happens before the play starts. You have her father who has abandoned Troy and left her behind. Yep. So he's, you with know... With Pandarus, with, of all people. Yeah. So uh, you've Not already got people. that, that yeah, you've already got that instance of father and a daughter. Mother is presumably not in the picture. She's been gone for She's been gone. Long. So, mother, so father and daughter, dad leaves, does not take her with him, leaves her with this lecherous, horrible, Pimp creepy uncle. old man. Pimp uncle. And so, if you look, think about the beginning in that way, is it any wonder that she holds herself back and is reserved and is, I'm not going to put all my cards if on the I, table? If I tell you I love you, you won't love me anymore. Yeah, and so... Because maybe, if, like, and, I mean, the same thing for Troilus, though. Look at what he sees at home. Yeah. Well, yeah, because his, his, his brother... brother is yeah. shacked up with Helen, who all of the Greeks came together to pledge themselves to the truth of the love between Menelaus and Helen. And then Helen up and runs off with Paris. Except for a golden apple. A golden apple! Except if Troilus looks the other direction, Hector and Andromache actually have... Isn't that Natalie Portman in the Troy movie? No. No? No. No, but Hector, Hector and Andromache actually do have... Like, they love each other and care about each other and, and you know... And so Andromache tells him not to go fight Achilles, and then, you know, Well, you may love your woman, but why listen to her? That was sarcasm. (laughs) 
So I think they could tell that from your tone. I right? wanted to make sure. Fair. So. But yeah, no, Charles. Yeah, Charles sees the shit at home. So one of the I didn't get to see this production, but the last time that I was in Oregon for the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, when I saw the really cool As You Like It, one of the other shows that was going on was Troilus and Presta, which is why probably why I thought of this show after As You Like It. Um But they said that so we're talking just so we know, it was like two thousand and nine. They set that show um in Baghdad. Mm. Uh, okay. as a city that had been under siege in embroiled in war where there was an invading army camped outside and uh, they I mean rereading this makes a whole freaking mm-hmm. lot of sense and it'd be mm-hmm. really cool because then you're also looking at how um the relations between men and women inside that culture. Mm-hmm. You're looking at um, the relations between um, an invading force that we can understand. Because to me, Greeks and Trojans are the same thing. Mm-hmm. But when you think about it as an invading American force versus an Iraqi force, it's very different and yeah. very different yeah. cultures. And so. I, like, we got to go on a backstage tour, so we got to see all the staging for it and all this other stuff and hear all the ins and outs of it. And I wish we would have been able to go see the play, because I think that would have been really an interesting way to do it. So I think there are very interesting ways to stage this play. Yeah. But I feel like the director in that instance has to do approximately... They have to, they have to do the Lord's work. Yeah. They really do. Yeah. They so have to shoulder... This I again... Mean, the actors do, too. Yeah. The actors have to shoulder a heavy load. Yeah. I think I think that Cresta has to make up because a the lot text, of her bad. The story. text doesn't do it for you in no. this one. No, and I now so not only because some of his texts do it for you. Not only do I want to see a very victimized San, uh, Sandra, Cressida, Cressida, mash them together. It's because I was Cressandra. Cressandra. It's because I, I was looking at you. Not only do I want to see a very victimized. Uh, Sandwich. Sandwich. Jesus. I would like to. I need a sandwich. I need to victimize a sandwich. Is Burger King still open? I like to victimize a sandwich. Oh no! Are you going to set it off with a passion blast? (laughs) Give it the passion blaster. I'm not gonna fuck a sandwich. My name's not Al Preston. Well, he'll never be listening to this, exactly. so I think that's fine. <laughs> uh, no. Okay, so no. I don't even know where the, I was going now. Okay, so that, that, but the other thing that we kind of talked about in episode fifteen is I would actually really love to play up the undertone of the love between Achilles and um, oh, definitely. Oh yeah, because like, it is it's so well written. In here, and I know we've talked in the past about um, the way men were allowed to love each other a little well, bit both, more. Both platonic openly. love, both the to- love, love. Yay! Love. I'm not the only sandwich here. <laughs> <laughs> I said love. So, uh, no, both both platonic love between two men, and also romantic it. love yeah. between two men in the Greek and Roman time frames were not. 
that was not frowned upon. That was no, not, not at all. Well, yeah, so and often was even encouraged, though sometimes in very strange and Pandora's crest of the types ways. We're talking like huge age differences often in, as far as the yeah, like I said, Pandora's crest of the types of ways. Uh, that's gonna be my new uh, <laughs> like. That's what I mean, my new, like, meter there. <laughs> are, you set, are you trying Is to set... Is that Pandorous you, Cressida creepy? Are you trying to set those two people up on a date? I don't know. Are you being Pandorous to their Cressida? And be like, oh, I'm out. Hey, are you guys fucking yet? <laughs> Just checking. If we stay silent, does he get creepier? <laughs> yes. Yes. It's a joke. So, I just, I think that that would be a really interesting thing because of the dialogue that's used. I think it would be a very interesting thing to really... I actually think I've talked myself into wanting to stage this play by (laughs) doing this podcast. Well, look. We we walked in and we're like, this play is awful. It is. It is awful. The text text is the problem. Half of the shows on King John might be the worst, but this is just about it. Half of the shows... Pericles is pretty bad. So is Timon of Athens. Half the shows on my directing list are on my directing list, directing bucket list. Because I want to fix them. Because I hate them and I want to fix them. And are you fixing it in your mind or in the audience's? A both. A both. A both. Try, trying to, at least, right? Yeah, making the attempt. But that's why I wanted to direct Rogers and Hammerstein Cinderella, which I find to be insipid. Uh, well, I think, I think that's the challenge. Uh, the challenge of this, yeah. the more we talk about it, the more, the more we get into the challenge of this play, the more I want to tackle it. Because I, but this isn't. This is not a Shakespeare in the Park. Like, no, this is no. If I'm going to do this, you're going to pay me. <laughs> not only are you going to pay me for it, but we're going to do it someplace where if a booby comes out, nobody's calling the cops. Yeah, we can't do boobies in the park. And this play, and I plan to put those men in short skirts. Might have boobies. Long jackets. I just short skirt and a long jacket. I do nineties. You have to cast me as my namesake. That's all I ask. I yeah. want to be Cassandra. If you want to, well, okay, okay. I want to yeah. run on stage. Cassie, I do spaces. not precast anything, but you do already have the name, so I mean, you may have a leg up on the comedy. And again, you're not going to be running in my staging. You're going to be on <laughs> on a, a wheeled platform. Yeah, yeah, actually, Beth, <laughs> Beth <laughs> can we direct this together? Yes, and we'll just put your stage vision. Well, okay. One of you gets the Troilus and Cressida scenes, and one of you gets the Trojan War. It is. <laughs> oh God! It is. No, we're trying to fix this play. That, that is, so that this might play, be a way to do it. I've been trying to figure out what is the great tactile analogy here. It's if you took one of those stress balls and you squeezed it so hard that that little bubble pops out the side. Uh huh. That's what this play is. Well, that's Troilus and Cressida to the Trojan War. The, the or, or the Trojan War to Troilus and Cressida. So I don't care which one is the center one that you're squeezing too hard. Which one's the stress ball, but the other one is popping out the side. side. Yeah. So you squeeze something too hard, it's not quite working now. I think it's, I think, I think Troilus and Cressida is the stress ball, yeah. and the war boner of the Trojan War <laughs> is popping out the side. There will not be a button in the future for War Boner. War Boner! But I feel like it's going to be a character that comes up often, especially when we get into the Kings. Oh, oh God. No, but, I mean, this one really, though, the, the... Okay. Anytime that we're dealing with a scenario like this, where literally, like, the masculinity is so toxic that the men, rather than fucking be human and speak to each other... Started a war to begin with? Yes, would rather 
I'm gonna steal your wife. I'm a stealer. At a wedding. At at your wedding. Well, they get no, it. No, I don't. Was it their just, wedding? Ugh. It was someone's wedding. It was somebody's wedding, wedding. wedding. But they were there. Paris, Paris, and Hector were there as guests, and they steal Menelaus' wife. I think it's their wedding. I think it was the the wedding of Menelaus and Helen. But I could be wrong. I not huge on my Trojan War history. But either way, and then they're like. Well, yeah, I did this terrible thing by taking your wife and taking her home with me and cuckolding you. And so if you want her back, bring your shit. And we're going to have a decade-long war. And we're only in year seven when this shit happened. I think this is part of the reason why... The masculinity is so fucking toxic. The story of the Trojan War is so just boring to me because the impetus is boring, the... Drawn outness of it is boring. The resolution's pretty exciting. I like the big horse. But I think it's also Everybody loves the big horse. So the thought concept of one woman gets stolen and thousands of ships go to get her back and she doesn't necessarily want to come home. The face that longs to thousand ships. It's upsetting. As yeah. a woman, it's upsetting. I can't make my decision to leave my husband and go off with someone else without you making up. Federal case out of it, let alone. She has, well, she has, she, well, Helen has no agency. So, she has none. Stupid yeah. Sparta. Yeah. Especially in this I looked way. it up, by the way. Yeah. And it was Paris had to go into Menelaus' home to burgle and take her. He burgled her? He burgled her. That, he burgled the man's wife? Well, yeah, when it's just an object that you're taking and no one else's home. Well, she. Uh, it's well, not robbery, to, it's burglary. Well, because robbery implies theft. Well, robbery, or, ro- robbery implies violence. Yep, and, and somebody being present. Yeah, bur- burglary is just stealing stuff. And yeah, apparently, and she's, she's just since she's just stuff. That God, was- that pisses me off. Good. That was a huge spike. I'm sorry. I really apologize for that. Good. But apologize to the neighbors. <laughs> well, the neighbors can deal. I apologize to the listeners who had to hear me yell God really loud. But at least that it's, shit. At least it's only me 11 o'clock instead of 1 o'clock. Instead of like 1, yeah, which normally it would be. Uh, no, yeah, um, this, the, the whole concept of the pissing contest that the Trojan War is over assumed property of another human being, just, oh, god, And it's very allegorical for the, like, again, Troilus was trying to get out. They had sex and he was trying to bounce. Until, Until he heard that she was going to be given away. It was the, and then he's the like, toddlers with the toys second. at the library. Yeah, you can't have my toys. I'm playing with this. I'm done. I'm done now. Until you come to take it. And no, 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 no. That is mine. Don't you pick up that sidewalk chalk. Don't you fucking touch that sidewalk chalk. It's mine. So. I played with it for five minutes earlier. And I set it down in a year ago. As much as we try, again... As much as I can read in and see things in Shakespeare that are very pushing the envelope for women's rights, mm-hmm. at the same time, he still wrote a story in which men pass around a woman and it normalizes it. Yeah. Because there's so, no repercussion for it. There's no right. consequence. There's no discussion of it. And in fact... Well, no, not, actually, they, they turn it into a negative about not, her. Yeah, it's yeah. not the men in that situation and their actions that are in any way reprehensible. It is that she allowed it. Oh, you let us do that to you. Yeah. 
I can't believe I let you do that to me. Sorry. It's Bucky the Vampire Slayer. Hey, you're allowed to, you're totally fucking quote Buffy whenever you fucking this, want. This is the movie, not the TV show. Oh, even better. So. I love the movie. But, I mean, the TV show was higher quality. <laughs> the TV show was better. So, this play is a problem play for many reasons. Yeah, it's not even just problematic. Like you said earlier, it is a problem play. Well, that's the classification. It's a problem play. It's a problem play. He has problem plays out there. This one is, it doesn't fit into any of the categories. Winner's Tale is a problem play. There's a reason that this is in the Apocrypha. The the problem is that I don't like unresolved stories. (laughs) I have this problem where if you're going to tell me a story, you should probably finish it. Um... So, what happens to Trails and Cressida? Who the fuck knows? So, and this is, we, this is a... Read, read the Iliad. Maybe I, you'll find out. I have read the Iliad. It's not in there. Read Geoffrey Chaucer's pl- uh, poem, <laughs> Troilus and Cressida. It's been a really long time since I broke out my Middle English. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've read any Chaucer, let alone had to try and translate it from Middle English. What are we reading? Uh, I think we were doing... Chris and I were looking at the Lord's Prayer, I'm pretty sure, just because it was something that it wasn't all three. And we were looking at the difference between modern English, old, uh, middle English, and old English, um, and all the whys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. this looks like reading Welsh. Chris goes, yeah. Well, that's because it, it was <laughs> it, a, it a mixture of Welsh <laughs> and German. But I'm trying to remember what we All the Welsh and Welsh couldn't Welsh out as Welsh. Yeah. Oh, I found a Welsh beer at the beer place. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And like, oh, I wish you had had this when we had pre-done Henry V. Well, well, we'll don't have worry. to do it again. We're going to do Henry V again. But it was a Welsh beer that's brewed in Columbus. <laughs> By who? I don't remember, but they had the Welsh dragon on it. Hmm. Well, we'll have to get back to that because I like trying different things. That's what she said. But, um... Well, I don't know. Do you have anything else pressing that we have no. to talk about with this play? I think that this play I think it's just, aside part... from expressing our disappointment. <laughs> no, and the further into we talk about it, the more I want to keep a conversation going with this play. But that involves trying to do, like, throwing up a piece of it into a one-act. Or uh, trying to get it into a stage reading where you really focus on something. Yep. I am gonna I am gonna throw Thursidies out there for when we get to the fools and actually do a fools episode. You best He him. belongs he belongs there. I will give you that he is a fool. he just happens to be a fool I don't like, and that's okay. Yeah, it's a fool you didn't think about until today. No, because I didn't I've seen it and then I reread it for this, and other than that I don't really revisit <clears> this play because Well there's not a whole lot of reason to. Uh, I've seen and read other better Trojan War stories. I've there's okay. I will say there's not Firebird a... by Mary Mercedes Lackey. Mercedes Lackey. Isn't that the one about Cassandra? Maybe. And then Gates of Fire. That's another I, I great would, Tro- Trojan War one. I would normally I say there's not a lot of reason to revisit this play, but actually, I hope that we have inspired. Uh, some of our listeners maybe to revisit this play and look into the modern context 
that really seems to come out of this one. Yeah, I can say that I didn't, like, in the end of the day, it's not one of my favorite Shakespeare plays by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm really glad that we chose to reread it so that I could take a second and take a look at my biases alone when it comes to classical literature and how they are shaped by um, these kind of, I don't know, defining texts. But have we so often put classical literature, be it Greek, Roman, uh, the the contemporaries of Shakespeare, on a, well, this is, this is fucking literature. I do. And we don't revisit them with a critical eye as much as we should, and I think that's one of the things that we've been doing with this podcast, is revisiting... We should delve out further into the Western canon. We ha- well maybe We're coming for you, Marlowe. Maybe someday, Moliere, Marlowe, keep your keep an eye on your backs. You know what? If Harold um, Bloom wrote about it, we're gonna talk about it. <laughs> but I mean, hey, you know, and and we probably will eventually. I mean, we're gonna run out of plays, and we're gonna have we're gonna you know have comparisons eventually. We're gonna probably gonna make a you know comparisons between Marlowe and Shakespeare and and things like that. We'll be in a nursing home. Yeah, well, that's fine, because I don't see a reason to stop doing this podcast. I think I enjoy doing it, and I think everybody else does. Um, I hope so. Um, but I love the way that we revisit these things with a modern critical lens. Um, and this one actually, because of the way it's written and because of how it's written, really actually already kind of took that modern lens to itself. Though maybe less critically than it should have. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell you right now, though, there are no literary-inspired web series of Troilus and Cressida. No, but you did say you found, like, a YouTube, like, like some... Okay, yeah, so I tried, I was like, I tried to read this, and I said, I need to watch it. If I can. What was it? I don't And... Yeah, we never even got to adaptations, because I don't... Yeah, there's a BBC one from the 80s, but I would have had to pay for another subscription to Broadway HD to see it. And so instead I went to YouTube just to see what I could find. Um, and I found an outdoor Shakespeare in the Park community theater I production. I can't believe anyone did this in the park. Um, I wouldn't do this in the park. It was not stellar in terms of performance quality. Because we did Coriolanus in the park, so I mean... And Pandarus irritated me so much that I literally got to their intermission and went, you nope. know, I'm done with this. Oh, you That's just went into the You left an intermission. I did. Ouch. To be That's fair, cold, everyone. <laughs> to be fair, in my case, it was just you turned shutting it off, off YouTube. It fucking turned it off. Yeah. So there is one. It's like me falling asleep during that Timothy Dalton, Anthony, and Cleopatra. There is one adaptation that I think we should bring up. Um, now, it's super old. <laughs> but John Dryden, like 50 years later, did do an adaptation. Oh, he adapted the, the work itself, yeah. He fixed it, and I think killed off for the Crescent at the end. I'm pretty sure yeah, he was I, like... Yeah, I actually, I've never read it, but dead. yes, it does exist out there that John Dryden... After Shakespeare's death, 
So, yeah, so John... Picked Dr- up Troilus and Cressida and, John, like, rewrote the problem Right, parts. and John Dryden is known for kind of bloodier things. Um, but he's... I'd actually really be interested in maybe we read that and revisit this at a later date to find out how he did with Troilus and Cressida. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure he killed him off. I think we need to... But uh, he, like, he adapted a couple of different shapes. Like, he redid um, The Tempest. <laughs> um, if you've ever read Marriage a la Mode, I know that's something that comes up often in English classes. That's John Dryden, uh, Oedipus. So he does a lot of, like, adaptations. He did that kind of thing. I think, I think it'd be interesting to delve back into his uh, adaptation of Shakespeare's Troilus and Cressida, maybe at a later date. Um, I also think that we need to uh, get out of our deep dive into, uh, like, we've done some some out there Shakespeare. Well, we did as you like it. Well, I guess that's... That's still a little out there. All right. It's not as out there as Winner's Tale and Troilus and so, Cressida. So our promise to you, listeners, is the next play... Will be one of the ones that you might actually have read. We'll do a mainstreamer. <laughs> Something that you have to go, ooh, didn't we do that within the last five years at every community theater? Yeah. Uh, maybe you will have read this Shakespeare play or seen it performed. Now we have to figure out what that play is going to be. We'll figure it out <laughs> after we sign off. Um, does anybody have anything else? I would like to sign off and say I'm Beth Roars. I'm Cassie Greenlee. I'm Ryan Halfhill. I'm Chase Greenlee. And we've been Shakespeare. And we still continue to be. <laughs> yeah. Good night, John Boy. Good night, night, John John Boy. Boy. What? Oh, God.